One of my favorite disc golf channels of all time is Daily Disc Golf. I've been a subscriber for years. I think even before I started Gladiator Disc Golf, just on my personal YouTube channel, I've always appreciated the informative and relaxing disc golf content, following this guy around on the course and watching his five minute uh Tuesday tips or two minute Tuesday tips that always yeah, turned minutes. into yeah, yeah. five to seven to 10 minutes. Yeah. I loved it. It was always three minute great. Thursday. Yeah. Hey, three minute Thursday. That's it. Three minute <laughs> yeah. Thursday. Noah, I am so excited to have you on uh, teach play disc golf. Dude, you are the leader of the Huck squad. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show, man. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, man, I'm excited to be here. And like you said, you've been a follower for a long time. So it's nice to have a, you know, we've met in person, which I'm sure yes. we'll get to at some point during this podcast, yeah. but it's nice to have a formal, you know, kind of a face to face combo here. Yeah, for sure. I know we we've texted a little bit, we message back and forth on Instagram from time to time. But like you said, you kind of reference, uh, I think it was two years ago at this point. Um, yeah, my I'm from New Jersey. And so my wife and I, we were going up to see my family and it coincided with our anniversary and so we were going up to Boston and on the way to Boston she was amazing she said yes we can go to Maple Hill we can meet up with <laughs> Noah so Noah yep. and I got to play Maple Hill together we played the whites uh the white tees it was a blast uh my game is very different from then but I still think about that round and just how much fun it was and how cool I remember seeing you driving up I'm like Noah Cronin from Daily Disc Golf. Let's Dude, go. I thought it was so, just as cool. Like it was probably one of the first like content creator collaborations that yeah. I had done too, you know, and yeah. just the fact that you were in the area and you were able to get to Maple and for anyone who doesn't, you know, know me or know where I'm from, I live pretty much in Maple's backyard. I'm like 45 minutes away from Maple Hill, which is honestly such a blessing and I really don't take yeah. advantage of it as much <laughs> as I should. But just the fact that you were going to be in the area and yeah. had the opportunity to play Maple Hill, I had to like yeah. do whatever I could to get out there for that episode. Oh, yeah. And we both filmed for both of our yeah, channels too. We did. And those videos are yeah. still on our channel. So if you guys yeah. want to check that out, I'll drop some links in the description. But Noah, I'm so excited to have you for episode 36 of Teach Play Disc Golf. Listeners, viewers on YouTube, I'm going to run through the uh, outline with you guys real quick. I have a couple questions. It's going to be a lot more uh, interview conversational style this episode. So I have a couple questions that Noah and I are going to talk about. You guys will get to know him a little bit more, learn about his game. We're going to then talk about his one of his best disc golf skills, scrambling, which is a huge thing that we all need to be working on. And then after that, we'll review his one of his favorite discs and the one that will help you scramble the most, the Discmania Tactic. And that'll be episode 36. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, Noah, so we have a couple questions here. And like I was telling you before we started recording, you know, there's a lot more questions than we're probably going to get to. We'll follow the flow yep. of conversation. We'll but get through as many as we can. Yep. Of course, of course. You know, one of the things that I like to do whenever somebody joins my Discord server, and I know uh, your Discord server is pretty similar as well. You have a, people on there that are always conversing and asking each other questions. I love to ask people who join my server a couple questions as well. And so I'll ask you the same thing. How long have you played disc golf and how did you discover disc golf? So I've been playing for 13 years. I started in 2010 when I was a sophomore in high school and I discovered disc golf, I guess, just from my older brother introducing it to me. He started playing with a couple of his friends. He was a couple of years older than me. So 
I think he was a senior when I was a sophomore and a couple of his friends introduced him. And I'd say within 15 minutes of our school, we have Borderland State Park, which is one of the nicer courses mm -hmm. up here in Massachusetts. And just having the privilege to go out there and play and learn how to play at Borderland was just really cool. And once I got out there, I've always been into nature. You know, I've always been kind yeah. of sporty and into nature as well. So finding out about disc golf, it's kind of like a hype with an activity. That's what I kind of yes. used to call it. So it, it just kind of clicked right away with me. I kind of fell in love with it right off the gate. And yeah, that's, that's how I got introduced. And 13 years later, I'm, you know, just as passionate as I was then, if not more now. That is awesome. So I imagine over the, the course of 13 years, you've noticed a lot of change. Have more courses popped up around you? Do you, do you notice yeah. a lot more players? Because I feel like the, the Boston, Massachusetts area just seems to have a lot of disc golf talent. Has that always been the case? Um, I mean, it's definitely come a long way since I first started. I mean, Borderland was obviously the closest to me when I first started. And mm -hmm. other than that, you really had to drive like almost all the way out to Maple Hill. I really can't think of off the top of my head another really solid course yeah. that was well established back in 2010. Uh, Daisy Field, which is a couple of towns over in Franklin, was probably the next to get installed, probably in like the 2012 or 2013 okay. area, if I were to, you know, Anyone who's from Daisy, if you're watching this, I might yeah. be completely wrong on that. <laughs> but I remember just Borderland and Daisy being the two courses that I would go back to back and playing. Uh -huh. And Daisy was super raw back then. I think Borderland was installed in the late 90s. So it was okay. pretty so well worn in. in at that point. Yeah. But I remember Daisy being like hard, like yeah. really hard, especially for a beginner disc golfer. Whereas Borderland, the fairways were more open mm -hmm. and off the fairways were pretty well beaten in, like you had said. So it's definitely come a long way. Now you have probably 15 options within an wow. hour radius. And unfortunately for the people that actually live in the city, there isn't really an option for city folk anymore. There was a course called Franklin Park uh, that was pretty much directly in the center of Boston. Mm -hmm. And I think due to erosion issues or something with the community, oh, the wow. town ended up taking it away. So for actual Bostonians, they still have to travel like essentially 30 to 45 minutes in any sort of direction to get no to a way. course. Oh, that's such a um, bummer. I'm at, yeah, I'm south of Boston. So there are a couple of courses around me. Another beautiful course in Hawkins Woods just got installed literally mm -hmm. like seven minutes from my house. So having that as kind of like my new home course is really mm -hmm. nice because it's a really wooded course. So definitely keeps I, you honest and keeps you I think I remember watching one of your videos where it was like, it had either just opened to the public or wasn't quite open yet. And you were kind of doing like a preview of like the front nine and the yeah. back nine. And yeah. it was definitely yep. looking very cool, very wooded and some no, tight it, fairways. Yeah, it's fun. But for, for people that don't play like New England disc golf or wooded disc golf, yeah. it's it's a wooded course. You're, you're out in the thick yeah. of the woods, you know. You got 10, 15 foot wide fairways that you got to hit pretty much the whole time. Right. And that course has come a long way over the last couple of years. But similar to Daisy when it was first installed, mm -hmm. it's just tough out there, especially once you kick off the fairway a little bit. So we've noticed this theme uh, as you were talking there about all these courses. And then whenever we are watching the Disc Golf Pro Tour, when the players come to the New England area or even just the East Coast, even as south as uh, south carolina and georgia we notice woods golf is really prominent on the east coast but especially in new england what was it like getting into this sport where um you were at a place where accuracy was the most important thing when you were you know with the courses that you were playing like you didn't have a hundred foot wide fairways where you could kind of oh. figure things out that way so 
when you were starting, what were some of your strengths and weaknesses with these wooded courses? Well, I think a, a positive that I didn't really consider at the beginning was how, um, what's the word, how it's going to keep you honest and just keep you hitting your lines. If, you, yeah. if you're just in a wide open park, you're just kind of uh, throwing field darts, essentially, right. is what they sometimes call it. But when you're actually in the woods, you actually have to shot shape. And I think that was something early on that I had to learn how to do. And I guess one of my strengths when I first started was having a really strong forehand. Um, I came from a lacrosse background in high school. So as soon as I got a disc in my hand, it was so much easier to replicate a lacrosse sidearm shot mm -hmm. with a forehand than it was for me to learn how to accurately throw a backhand shot. For a beginner, if you don't have any experience with a Frisbee, which I really didn't, I mm -hmm. didn't play ultimate, I didn't have any experience with a Frisbee, there's so much form, timing, technique to a backhand throw that takes time. And when I just learned to flick a, a, a high-speed driver on Anheuser, I was like, oh, this game yeah. is freaking off. And just seeing the, <laughs> seeing the S curve and you know, seeing the predictability of something overstable coming yeah. back, I think that was something that got me hooked at the beginning. And uh -huh. like I said, that was probably a strength of mine is having the lacrosse background to help yeah. me with my forehand right off the gate. Very cool. Um, I'd say a weakness of mine at the very beginning was I was a one disc wonder. Those people you see walking around with just one disc, you know, uh -huh. just, that was that was me. I just I had a star wraith, a gray star wraith. That was my baby for a long time. Uh -huh. And I would just forehand flex it, you know, all over the course, up shots, putts, drives, everything. I didn't have a putter. I didn't have a mid range <laughs> and I did not flick putt once I got to like circle two, but I didn't, I didn't straight putt. I literally just high hyzer spike putt, like 20 feet in the air, just trying to get it to slam into the basket. I wasn't going for chains. I wasn't <laughs> trying to have a nice flat putt. I just, I, I would remember aim, you know, five feet up and five feet right and i would just no try to way. spike it right in so what was what was your percentage like i i honestly i was not very good when i first started <laughs> and you know finding old scorecards is always so humbling and so funny because yeah. i remember when i moved into this apartment and i moved out of my parents place i found some old scorecards from borderland and you know my score was in the 80s and 90s and i was like in my head i was like man i was actually keeping score i was looking at the score and i was thinking seven eight eight seven like i was uh -huh. actually keeping score but i wasn't good you know what i mean uh -huh. um it was just it was cool to see those old scorecards because i obviously cared enough to keep score but uh -huh. i didn't care enough at first to really try and get better right. i was just like having fun with it yeah right. I took a seven on that like i didn't care about par you know how a lot of beginners start so i was a one disc wonder i had a 350 foot forehand with no accuracy and <laughs> that, that's how i started really yeah that's hilarious. Well, 13 years later, you are not a one disc wonder. And I know you definitely no. throw over 350. So you've definitely improved. What would you kind of say are your strengths, but also like some areas of your game that you're looking to improve as well? Yeah, so I know we talked a little bit before the show uh, when we were texting back and forth, I think, and you know, you mentioned it at the beginning of the show, I think one of my biggest strengths is my scrambling. Mm -hmm. I really at this point in my disc golf career, I really try my best not to put myself in tough spots. And I'm very brutally honest when it comes to decision making out on the course. I don't try right. to get too crazy or do anything too ridiculous. I'm always pretty even keel. I, my, my play style is not very aggressive. It's pretty conservative. Mm -hmm. I play within my means most of the time, unless I'm playing match play and I need to come back from a deficit or something. But 
I think one of my biggest strengths is my consistency and my scrambling. I think I have a pretty high floor. Um, I don't really let go of the round after, you know, a couple bogeys. I'll, I'll keep plugging away. And something I shared with you, I think the last time I checked, my double bogey percentage was around like 3%. So out of every hundred holes, I double bogey around three of That's them, which I do take pride in. And yeah. I just try to, if I'm off the fairway, I'll be honest with myself. Can I realistically give myself a putt for par here? Right. If not, then I'm not going to force it. So right. I'll just take my medicine, yeah. pitch out, maybe give myself a long 40, 50 footer. If I make that great, if I don't settle for bogey, move on to the next hole, see if you can bounce back with a birdie. In my opinion, double bogeys are just unacceptable unless there's yeah. an out of bounds on the hole. Right. If there's water, if there's a line, if there's a mando, if there's something like that, you miss the mando, you're reaching mm. for three. Obviously, it's going to be tough to save even your bogey because then you have to birdie from the tee. So the double bogeys, I just, I really try to limit those. And I think mm. that focusing on that is probably one of my biggest strengths. That is awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, it is so demoralizing getting a double bogey and trying to claw back from that because it's not just one hole to cancel out, you know, the extra stroke. Yeah. You got to, over the course of three holes, you know, from the double bogey to the two hopeful birdies that you get, that it takes three holes, which is a sixth of your round to try and just get back yeah. to even. So, you know, yeah. finding ways, playing smart, that mental game is super huge. So, yeah. Um, over the course, you know, of those 13 years, you've obviously improved, like you've just mentioned, you've also added some pretty cool sponsors, I think that some uh, that yeah. people might recognize. Uh, so I want to give you the opportunity to kind of share that here, uh, before we get into some of the nitty gritty things. So I know Discmania, go ahead, talk about them and any other sponsors, you know, let people know either how they can support you. And also, how did you kind of get to that point with Discmania? Yeah, so I'm sponsored by Dismania. Started on the media team, what's now called the ambassador team. Uh, I started in 2019, so I've been a part of Team Dismania for going on four seasons now. And it's just, it's a blessing, honestly. You get these packages, you get the infrastructure, you get the support from the team, you get people that you can ask questions to, you get obviously the brand recognition. It's, it's really cool. And for a content creator to have a, a sponsorship like that and someone, a company like that backing you and sending you packages to make videos on, it's just like super humbling, super grateful. Yeah. So back in 2019, I, uh, I think I had, I had under a thousand subscribers when I first applied to the Dismania media team and it was bad timing the first time. So I actually didn't get it the first time that I applied until they re-rolled out the application process in 2019. My first application I think was in 2018. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up getting it in 2019 and the rest has kind of been history. I've just kind of taken, you know, the bull by the horns and just right. really squeezed as much as I could out of it. And yeah. I really, I'm, I'm in love with the brand. I'm in love with the plastic. I think yeah. even before I was sponsored, my bag was primarily Dismania. So mm -hmm. going into the media team application, it was, it was a no brainer for me to right. have the ability to throw even more Dismania. And yeah. I'm not fully required to have an all Dismania bag. Um, but I, I do my best. And at the at the moment, there's only one disc that's not right. this mania. So I do the best that I can. Is it that rock that you throw? <laughs> it is. It is that white tasty <laughs> throw. Really slippy, really yeah. just perfect fire. I just, I I can't replace it just yet. Yeah. And I've found a couple of this mania discs that have come close, but yeah. nothing's, nothing's taken it out of the bag just yet. Yeah. And I got an ace with it last year. I just, I can't oh, fuck with it. It's, just, it's my baby. So, yeah. you know, I it, it is you. what it is, but. 
Every single other disc is Discmania. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, really cool, man. Man, that, that is just awesome to know that at 2019 is really when I, you were obviously already recording, you were fit, put, making videos yeah. and just seeing yeah. that growth. That's a really exciting thing for any content creator. Uh, so speaking yeah. of being a disc golf content creator, the last question I'll ask before we get to our uh, disc golf skill and the disc review here in a little bit um you at least to my knowledge you are definitely one of the longest running disc golf content creators on youtube um so i just kind of want to ask like what's it like kind of being one of the ogs and um from your perspective seeing over the years how many disc golf uh content channels have popped up here and there on youtube and on yeah. Instagram. So kind of just let us into that, that world a little bit as somebody who was there from before what like super niche at that point. Yeah, it was extremely niche. I really, I, I couldn't even put my finger on like a big disc golf channel back then, you know, mm. there was like spin TV. That was yeah. like, you know, what I watched <laughs> some stuff on, you know, spin TV, yeah. early, early Jonah stuff I like that. that. But I got my channel started in late 2016, but I really kind of started really uploading in like 2017 mm -hmm. um so yeah it's been almost you know six six and a half years now so it's been a little while and currently um i've taken a little bit of a break the last couple months but mm -hmm. six years of just you know pumping out content trying to put out you know two videos a week sometimes yeah. even more than that and especially through covid you know we all had yeah. extra time so i was trying to do the most that i could mm -hmm. um but it's just it's really cool and like you said it was super niche at the beginning they were just really ragtag videos if you looked for any course that was near you online you might find like a two holes with on like a cell phone camera you know hard yeah. to even see what's going on you can't really yeah. see the course or anything so started with just my iphone and a phone mm -hmm. tripod I, I taped a portable charger to one of the legs and i just smart. did the best i could i edited on my phone for i don't even know how long the first two yeah. and a half years i edited wow. on my phone even when i got my nice camera my mirrorless camera I still didn't have an editing laptop at that point. So I still had to transfer the um, camera. I still had to transfer the clips from my camera to my phone and edit on my phone. So even when I had a nice camera, I was still editing on iMovie on my phone. Oh, so man. that honestly just like, I mean, there's, there's just no excuses, you know, and I wasn't doing it. I wasn't even doing it for views or likes or anything right. when I, when I first started and I, and I still try not to do that. Um, I just like to make videos and, you yeah. know, have fun with my friends and go out and show people new courses and just have the documentation. Yeah. And honestly, one of the best parts about it now is going back and looking at those old videos and smiling yeah. and seeing those old memories that you made with your friends. And, you know, some of those courses I might never step foot on the rest of my life, but I have right. a video with my friends having fun on a course that I might yeah. not ever go to. So yeah, I think the, I love I love the documentation that. aspect of it is honestly probably my favorite part of it. Obviously, mm -hmm. it was really cool that people liked the content and ended up sticking around. But I remember right around that time I got into the media team, I, I was still under a thousand subs. And I'm like, even if I don't gain another sub for the rest of my life, like it's not going to stop me from making videos. You know, I just yeah. I appreciate the, the, the process of making a video. And I just had fun with it. It wasn't mm -hmm. like I was doing it to make money. I wasn't doing it. I still don't do it to make money. I have a full-time job, you know? Yeah. You know, the extra money is nice, but it's not, it's not my end goal right now. Yeah. I, I appreciate that and respect that so much. Uh, Cause I know like personally, I've gone through a lot of like ups and downs, just mentally trying to, you know, cause I started my channel just, you know, 
because I just wanted to teach people how to play. Like that yeah. was why I started Gladiator Disc Golf. Yeah, and very it, instructional. Yeah, very instructional. And I love yeah. that. You know, I have it. Uh, I'm a former educator. So that's always been my background. And so it's just one of those like, there were a lot of emotions as things were like, okay, my channel is growing. I'm now making money. And I started to put so much pressure on myself to where it wasn't as fun anymore after a couple of years of that, because it was just like, yeah. I was, I was uh, like, I was putting out the flame for that, of that enjoyment of like making videos. And so I know for 2023, yeah. starting this podcast, not doing as many instructional videos, but still doing the instructional content just in a different format, yeah. I know for me was a huge shift and something I was nervous about, but like, I've really enjoyed it. I've had opportunities like this right here to like sit and talk with another content creator and just, you know, talk yeah. about disc golf. So I really respect that because I know it took me a lot of, you know, a couple of years and a lot of ups and downs to get to where I am today. And to know that you've been there and been steady that whole time, like that is super, I respect that a lot because it's not easy when you see all these other channels popping off and, you know, yeah. who's going, you know, trying to make it to the pro tour, who's doing as their full-time gig and they, seems like they yeah. just started their channel um and kudos to those people like that is no, not, sure. not at all like taking anything away from them but it's just yeah. you know that is hard to do what they're doing uh and, and to grow it that is. quickly and to sustain it and so you know i think everybody has their spot their their corner their niche whatever you want to call it and i love that you have you found it in the beginning and you've stayed there and you've really thrived you've really really thrived in there i know uh you have quite a bit so I really appreciate you sharing all that. And I want to make sure that we have time to talk about the disc golf skill and the disc review. Uh, the reason why yeah. I say it like that for those who are listening and watching, uh, we're recording on Zoom and right now it's the free version of Zoom. So we only get about 40 minutes. And so I want to make best use of our time here. So yeah. Noah, we mentioned in the beginning, you talked about when you were discussing your strength, the disc golf skill, you said was scrambling. So I have a couple questions here I'll throw at you and then I'll kind of let you carry us wherever you want to go. So yeah. talking about scrambling, obviously approaching from the fairway to the basket, how can we improve our scrambling? Um, what do we want to work on first to improve? And then what is the best stability of disc to use when you're trying to scramble, at least maybe in the beginning or even all the time? So a couple questions to throw your way if you want to go ahead and take it from there. Okay. And so the first question was, what was something that what was the first thing that you want to work on? Uh, how to improve what to work on first. Yeah. So I think something that kind of goes under the radar and that a lot of people don't really talk about is your balance. Now, what I mean by balance is just making sure that your center of gravity is working with whatever direction you're trying to throw the disc. Mm -hmm. Now, it's kind of tough to describe over, over, a, over a call, but yeah. If you're off the fairway, you want to really take your time, take a step back from your lie, analyze kind of every option that you can go, and then mm -hmm. kind of make your decision from there. And, you know, people always talk about percentages, go with your highest percentage. And I'm a big fan of that because if I'm out on the course, I always tell my team this before we start our team challenge matches. I'm always saying, make the right decision. Because if you make the right decision and throw a bad shot, you can live with that. If you make the wrong decision and throw a bad shot, then you start getting in your head because you're like, man, I should have done this, man. I, you know, you start kind of doing that downward spiral, but if you make the right decision and you just throw a bad shot, 
the only thing you can rationalize with is saying, I just need to give it a little more angle. I just mm -hmm. need to kind of adjust my shot a little bit more. You're not thinking I should have done something else. So right. I think that's the first thing is analyzing your lie and seeing kind of in a 360 circle in front of you where the most open spot is. And this is especially if you're off the fairway. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're on the fairway and you're just trying to get up and down for par, I think one of the best things to do is don't focus on parking the disc right at the base of the basket. Obviously, it's nice to have drop-ins, but right. there's there's always spaces on the green within you know that circle one area that's going to be a little bit more favorable than another spot. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's even smarter to lay up to like a, a side position 10 or 15 feet away from the pin because yes. you might have an easier putt yeah. than trying to force yourself to put it right at the base of the basket. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having balance, making sure that your feet are set, making sure that your center of gravity is kind of in a good mm -hmm. spot for your throw, analyzing, you know, a 360 degree window in front of your lie and seeing what you want to do, making the right decision and not trying to just park everything, you know, yeah. get yourself within a comfortable putting distance. Everyone has mm -hmm. their own. You know, amateurs, beginners, even M1, M, you know, even some MPO players think that you just need to hit everything in the circle. And mm -hmm. you, you, yeah, it's great to hit everything in the circle, but you can't have these expectations that you're going to hit every 28 foot putt, you know, because right. that's just not going to happen. Those days where you do hit every putt and it feels really good, those are the days that keep us coming back because we feel the consistency, we <clears> feel maybe the work that we've been putting in. But unless you're a top pro, you know, unless you're thousand plus rated, you can't be expecting yourself to make every 28, 31, 27, 23 foot putt. So if you have a comfortable putting distance, maybe even like 10 to 18 feet, mm -hmm. then just focus on putting yourself in that position around the basket rather than I got to get this like as close as I yes. can. Because sometimes when you try to get it as close as you can, you make a mistake, you know? So just, it's a big mental battle. It really yeah, is. And I think for sure. making the right decisions and, you know, trusting your decision-making for me personally is, is definitely a strength and something that I would give people advice on. Yeah. I definitely want to uh, hone in on some of that there. The the balancing can't be overstressed. Basically what uh, Noah's talking about is like when you set your feet, keeping that center of gravity in between your feet, in between your hips as much as possible will allow you to still use your hips to throw the disc, especially if you're trying yeah. to get a low fast skip shot, whether it's backhand or forehand, you don't just want to have to strong arm it because the it's going to be inconsistent that way. So still trying to find ways to maintain as much of your form as possible. And then the yeah. other thing that you talked about uh, being this, find this comfortable putting zone, it initially sounds so intimidating when someone says, don't try to park it, just try to get 15 feet out. It's like, well, I don't always make my 15 footers or I, you know, I, I don't want to have a stressful putt. And it's like one of the things that makes this golf so much easier is when you relinquish that fear of that 15 foot putt, obviously you need to improve your putt to make it mm -hmm. to where you feel comfortable there, of course. But when you start looking at approaching the basket and instead of a two foot diameter circle, it's now a 30 foot diameter circle, 15 feet on each side of the basket. Exactly. All of a sudden yeah. the target is so much bigger. It's so much yeah. easier. And there is way less stress of, Ooh, I need to hit this tiny little spot. No, you have a 30 foot diameter to hit 
with a 15 foot radius, you know, on each side. And then if you feel comfortable from anywhere inside the basket, you're looking at a 66 foot radius or diameter, you know, 33 feet, 10 meters, 20 meters diameter. That is a huge relief when you're approaching the basket. And so uh, to, you know, double down on everything you're saying, one of the best ways to improve your scrambling game is also to be improving that putting confidence uh, just feeling good at that 15, 20 foot spot, because then when it's time to approach, you're like, I can put it there, there, or there. And I yeah. know I can make that putt. So yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that skill. The last thing that I just want to ask about that is what do you think is the best ability for an approach disc? Understable, neutral, overstable. So in the end, that's going to come down to preference once someone figures out what works for them. But for me personally, to answer that question, I have almost no understable discs in my bag. And the reason for that is I taught myself a forehand and a backhand so that if I mm-hmm. need the disc to go left, I'll backhand. If I need the disc to go right, I'll forehand. And so that's kind of like my j- right. judgment on that sort of thing. But if I had to choose, I'd say slightly more than neutral to overstable is mm-hmm. my ideal scrambling disc and that's simply because my kind of like lean out forehand game is a big part of my scramble game and even if even if you might not ever teach yourself how to power forehand off the tee i believe every single player needs to have a 200 a uh, 100 foot to 200 foot get out mm-hmm. of trouble scramble shot with the forehand that way if you're in a position on the left side of the fairway you can stick your left foot way into your mini or to your lie. You can kind of lunge out mm-hmm. and give that classic forehand patent pending. Right. And I feel like that gets me out of trouble so much. And mm-hmm. so for some of the people that are more backhand dominant, if they're on the left side of the fairway and they're off the fairway, they have to have their right foot on the mini and they have to be like leaning out backwards mm-hmm. and trying to backhand out of the left side. Right. So I think having that 100 to 200 foot step out yeah. little flex forehand shot it's a very tricky technical shot to learn at first, but once you get that feeling and you kind of see yourself throw it and have it flex out and kind of learn where to get it to land, it's, it can save, you know, a couple strokes off of anyone's round who doesn't already have that shot in the bag. So that's definitely a big tip. Yeah. Yeah. So speak, you know, when you're talking about that stability, that's a perfect transition into our disc review because the disc that <laughs> yeah. you're talking about, that it's more than neutral, but it's not stupid beefy, is something yeah. like the Discmania tactic. So for our disc review, guys, we're going to talk about the Discmania tactic. If you want to check one out, head to OTB Discs. They have them in a bunch of different plastics. Noah has one in the uh, XO Hard Plastic. I've had one yep. in the XO Hard Plastic great base plastic for it, but also some of those razor claws, a little bit more beefy. So the tactic guys is a four speed, two glide, zero turn and three fade. Those are the flight numbers. Um, Noah, it's your disc. It's your favorite approach disc. Why don't you go ahead? We got just a couple minutes here. Go ahead and just give us a quick breakdown of the tactic and kind of how you like to, uh, how you like to do it, how you like to throw it. Yeah, so tactic, like we've been talking about scrambling this whole time, that left foot in the that left foot in the junk kind of on your mini lean out forehand, this is the disc that I choose almost every single time. This is a great disc for like 150 to 225 foot shots for me. I don't really throw my tactic off the tee very much because I feel like kind of you mentioned that it's not 
extremely torque resistant. If you start to really power up on it, it might start to do some mm -hmm. inconsistent things. So I keep my power level for the tactic probably around like a maximum 70%. Mm -hmm. And even sometimes doing that, I feel a little bit iffy, like it might not do what I want it to do. But it's a perfect forehand approach disc for anyone who likes a nice flat top. I Very personally, flat. and this kind of goes back to one of my weaknesses now, is a weakness now is I, I cannot, for the life of me, forehand a round edge putter. I just can't. So I have to forehand flat, overstable, board, board yeah. flat disc. I just, I haven't been able to really teach myself that. And going back to the beginning of the conversation, I had no ultimate Frisbee, you know, experience. And when mm -hmm. you see ultimate players come to disc golf, they love that round edge disc because it feels like an ultimate disc. Yeah. So I just, I either roll it over. I don't have confidence in it. I don't have a comfortable grip. So for me personally, the forehand putter kind of mid approach slot is just sold by the tactic for sure. That is awesome. Yeah. I've messed around with the tactic before I've had, uh, I had like a 120 foot throw in with it. It's really, really cool. Like Noah said, not super torque resistant on the forehand, but um, you know, cause it'll have a little bit of turn on that. It might even be able to get to flip up from a hyzer, but I do find that's also comfortable for the backhand uh, for that speed. It's not too tall. Um, so really, really great disc. So guys, if you want to check out the tactic, if you've been looking for an overstable approach disc, head to otbdiscs.com and use discount code GladiatorDG to save on shipping. Well, guys, that is all that we have for you today. I'm super excited. It's been a couple of weeks since we got an episode out, but we're here with Noah. Super excited to have him. And uh, as we end every episode, guys, I just want to remind you, Go ahead and teach someone to play disc golf this week. Give them an encouraging word. Send them to Gladiator Disc Golf. Send them to Daily Disc Golf for some uh, three-minute Thursdays, two-minute Thursdays. All right. Unfortunately, we just ran out of time there at the very end as we were closing. It was such a blast having Noah on the show. He really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. If you really enjoyed it, make sure you go ahead and like this video, like the uh, episode on your favorite podcasting app, leave a comment, share with your friends, and most importantly, let me know if you want to see Noah on it again for a part two. Uh, it was a blast talking with him. I've, we've really become friends over the last couple of years, and so it was just awesome to have Noah on the channel. So that is it, guys. Make sure you teach someone how to play disc golf this week. Send an encouraging word. Make sure you also get to go out there and play some disc golf. I'm excited for this upcoming weekend. This past weekend, I played in my first tournament in a year and a half. We will recap that next week. And that is all that I have for you today, guys. Until next time, everybody, have a great round. Thank you.